Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Look, I failed. I'm not going to sit up here and make excuses. Failed a lot of people. Some of the opening words there yesterday, Chris Ballard's season-ending press conference, uh, playing a lot of audio for those kind of looking for a written recap on that. Got some up on uh, our website, 1075thefan.com, and certainly our next guest as well, ESPN.com. He is Stephen Holder. He joins us now. Um, Stephen, I'll, I'll leave it pretty open-ended to to start. Um, just kind of your, your overall thoughts on the Chris Ballard we saw yesterday. Yeah, I uh, so I'm a little hoarse, okay, guys? So bear with me. Can you understand what I'm saying? We'll call you Pony. Yeah. Sound outstanding, honestly. All right, good, good. So um, I I think that um, my my big takeaway, or one of my big takeaways, was that he was uh, his tone. I thought was was appropriate, and I think by that, what I mean is, you know, Chris Chris Ballard, he is very much, you know. Uh, you know, a big talking South Texas guy, right? I and mean, he, he is that by nature. And, and I think yesterday, you know, we saw a guy who had to kind of take it on the chin and, and he was definitely humbled by, by what has happened. And I thought that was important because cause optics matter in these situations, particularly with a fan base that right now is, is just ready to, you know, to, there's a lot of kindling there, right? And if you spark, if you spark a match, you're going to set people on fire right now. And so I thought he took the right approach from a tone perspective. Now, beyond that, I mean, I actually think he came across pretty well overall. I think he said the right things. He acknowledged his mistakes, a lot of which we have talked about, written about uh, for a very long time. And he acknowledged, for example, the offensive line miscues and how those miscalculations had major impacts on, on what they have done. I also think that he, it appears, has has learned that, that this the, the quarterback carousel has to stop. I, I am of, I'm fully of the belief that it's over and that they are going to draft a quarterback. I don't think there's any other outcome here. And, and I, I truly believe that after yesterday. And I, I think the owner won't let it happen either. So, uh, yeah, those are kind of my big takeaways. Um, I, I don't, no shockers, but I think confirming a lot of the things that we we thought we knew. Stephen, I found it interesting that he kind of pinned a lot of their issue, among other things, but on the coaching carousel, or excuse me, the quarterbacking carousel. Yeah. Because I, I'm like, well, yeah, but dude, that was your decision. Like that was the route you wanted to go, right? Maybe, but that's a whole different point I wanted to ask you this I mentioned this earlier this morning and you are a more mature and level-headed individual than I so I want you to to wade through this um allegedly that's right I, I I found it interesting and while I understand the respect level of it I do I found it interesting that every time he referenced Jim Ursay he referred to him as Mr. Ursay um I, I get it that's his boss he's the owner but I don't hear Kevin Pritchard call Herb Simon Mr. Simon. I don't recall Bill Polian calling Jim Ursay Mr. Ursay. To me, it, it felt like a like subliminal or subconscious clear deference of basically tipping the hand that I am simply here 
almost in figurehead, and ultimately every final decision comes down to Jim Mercedes, which is the – I understand it. He's the owner. But at the same time, there are the the cast system within most professional sports teams that a general manager or president is hired with a certain level of autonomy. Am I overthinking it, or was there a little bit of that there? Uh, well, I I would say if you if you're around that building much at all, um, you hear him referred to as Mr. Ursay every day, right? That's that's just the way people refer to him. Well, why I don't know. I don't work there. I don't know how that works, but but that is a very very common thing that I hear literally every day. Um, I, I think I think the relationship between Chris Ballard and and Jim Ursay, uh, I, I think he described it relatively accurately in that Chris does voice his opinion and, and probably, you know, stronger than people think at the same time. Uh, I do think that the owner has, has been a little more strong willed of late. He's been much more strong willed. Um, look, I mean, we were talking about this yesterday, uh, KB and, and some other writers. I mean, Chris has had a lot of autonomy, a lot in, in previous years. I mean, if you go back to, Josh McDaniels, for example, that was not Jim Irsay whatsoever. That was all, all, all Chris Ballard. Frank Reich was Chris Ballard. I mean, Jim Irsay was on board. He, you know, Chris had ties to the Colts, so that was, oh, excuse me, Frank had ties to the Colts, so he was certainly on board with it. But Chris has had a lot of autonomy. There's no question about it. You know, he seems to have less of it right now. I don't think that has anything to do with how he referred to his boss in that press conference. I just think that is – just a, a a fact of what we have observed lately, and I think is, Chris acknowledged it. Frankly, is surrendering some of that autonomy part of the reason Chris Ballard is still here? Uh, I, I don't. I don't think it's anything explicit. Now, this is my observation, right? I don't think it's anything explicit that they have that they have necessarily agreed upon. Like, hey, this is how this is going to work. X, Y, and Z. No, I don't think that has happened. I think. There have been just some specific things of late where Jim Mercer has inserted himself much more than he has in the past. Whether that continues remains to be seen. But but he has certainly done that more so now than in the past. And he's Stephen Holder from ESPN.com, and he's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Stephen, I want to get a little bit more into how Ballard has operated at quarterback in his tenure um, yeah. and, and more like into the why. Do you find it odd at all that he came from Kansas City? He was one of the early Patrick Mahomes identifiers within that organization. I, I'm not going to pretend to know how much involvement he had, but again, he was there until about January. They drafted Mahomes. They traded up and drafted Mahomes in April. But in the fall is where they, you know, kind of got started to get enamored with Patrick Mahomes. So given that, given the fact that Kansas City has been easily the most consistent team in the NFL, certainly the AFC over the last handful of years, do you find it odd at all that he has backed off of not doing something that Kansas City did over the last, you know, kind of four off seasons when you look at the draft and all of that? that? That's an interesting question. And, and actually, there's a good basis for that, too. Um, I agree with you. I think that, well, let's back up. So back in Kansas City, the way Ballard has described this in the past, if I recall correctly, is that fall where Patrick Mahomes was still playing, at, playing in college. I believe John Dorsey was the GM in Kansas City at the time. Uh, John sent him down to Texas to go scout him personally because he's like, hey, you know, we, we like this kid. 
I want I want your thoughts. And so he went and, and scouted him in person. And they were on Patrick Mahomes the whole time. There's no question about that. Uh, so, yeah, and they were very aggressive in going to get him, right? They, they made a very aggressive trade up in the draft. Chris Ballard has not done that. Um, I would say it is interesting. And it actually, I think, is – is probably in line with his nature. I asked him this yesterday. I, I said to him, I said, look, there's a perception among fans that you are not aggressive enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he knew what I was getting at. And he had, you know, he had some receipts that, that, that indicate otherwise. They, the, the trade for the, you know, the Forrest Buckner was, you could argue that was aggressive. But they have certainly, or he has certainly had a, a history of trading down much more than trading up to go and get a player. And, and, and I just think that that speaks to his nature, which is, hey, I think I'm a pretty good draft. Uh, I, I think I execute pretty well in the draft. So if I get more draft picks, we'll get more good players. And that's his thought process, right? And it's not necessarily wrong. The problem is it doesn't fix your quarterback problem. So he's trying to apply the consistent theory. You know, he's big on his process. He's trying to con- or apply that process to to the entire team the problem is that does not get you a quarterback in today's day and age i kind of got the feel Stephen, or i wonder this Stephen holders our guest he's on the payless stickers hotline you can read his work at espn.com i got the impression that ballard has resigned himself to the fact that the time is now and he's painted into a quarter on corner on drafting a quarterback but his hesitation is perhaps this isn't the year to have to do that. In other words, the talent pool, maybe he's not completely sold on of, look, it's not like there's, and I, I realize a Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, you know, Peyton Manning only comes along every, you know, there's a reason they're called generational, right? But that he's like, yeah, I, I guess this is the year I'll do it because everybody expects it and I have no choice, but boy, I'm putting And the a owner might demand it. And the owner's demanding it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he seemed reluctant to me. You agree? Yeah, well, well, look, I mean, I came away with you could you could come away with two different impressions, right? Like, uh, I believe KB, you asked him. I think it was you who said, you know, are you willing to to trade up and go to number one if it needs if if need be? And he said, absolutely, I'll do whatever it takes. And literally in the next breath, he said, hey, now wait a minute, now it's not about where we take the guy; it's about getting the right guy. And it's what he always says. He says, you know, because if that guy doesn't play well, I'm gonna I'm gonna hear it from you guys. He has said that before, and I think it speaks to that that reluctance that he has demonstrated over the years. Um, I I do think that you're right. There is no Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck. We don't think in this draft, and in fact, there isn't because if 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 there was, we would already know who that guy was, right? So we know there's not. There may be good players, but there's not that flawless prospect, right? That everyone agrees upon. We don't have that. So it's not an ideal situation. However, you know, those guys don't come around very often, but you also don't have the number four pick very often. So I, I think, I think it, the, the need and the opportunity have aligned. So th- they have to do it. That's it. That, that's it. They have to do it. All okay. right. Now you got to get it right, but they got to do it. 
Stephen Holder, ESPN.com. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Stephen, it almost seemed like the vibe exiting last offseason or last season into the offseason was we are blaming Carson Wentz for 98% of things that happened with our football team last year. I don't know if we're at 98%, but I get a heavy vibe that we're blaming Frank Reich. And when I say we, I mean internally over there. There is a lot of blame to Frank Reich in the issues, the culture, the mistakes, whatever you want to call it, for what transpired this last season. Do you get that vibe that like there is an immense amount of blame for Frank Reich, and do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, I get that sense a little bit, yes. And and here's here's why. And this applies to Carson Wentz last year and to Frank Reich this year. It's convenient. It's very, very convenient for the parties involved. It's very convenient for Jim Mercy to say, well, that's done. Okay? You know, because he wants to believe there's a, they have a good team. Chris Ballard wants to believe they have a good team. Jeff Saturday has done it, frankly, without saying Frank Reich's name. He has, frankly, done it very often, just without saying Frank Reich's name. By saying, well, you know, I am here. Hey, what do you want me to do? And, you know, it's very convenient for him, right? Because uh, the alternative is he's got to take the blame, right? So it's very, it's very convenient for everyone involved to pinpoint – you know, the, the problems in one particular area. Uh, but I would argue, and, and I said this to Chris Ballard yesterday, I mean, you know, you, you've basically said you were a quarterback away over and over and over. You know, and I had a prominent player tell me this in the locker room the other day. He said, you know, we've, we've heard that we were a quarterback away the last three years. We're not. Okay. He said it better than I could have. And, and that's the problem. I mean, if, if they were only a quarterback away, then, you know, the, the issues with the offensive line would have mattered less. Um, you know, Shaquille Leonard's injury would have mattered less, right? All of these other problems they had would not have mattered as much if their team was as good as they thought it was. So I think that's what they got to figure out. They got to figure out, you know, I guess what I'm saying is they, they can't make the same mistake twice. And they are, they are indicating that they may actually do that. I, I don't think they're quite where they were last year in terms of fooling themselves. But, yes, I do hear a little bit of that, and they've got to shake themselves out of that. Steven, not in words, but just kind of in overall theme, do you think it's possible that Jim Mercer has basically messaged to Chris Ballard, look, Jeff Saturday is my guy. Your task is to go out there and find the one individual that you can sell me against that and convince me otherwise. Otherwise, that's my safety school. Well, well it, it's it's pretty clear that uh, I, I think Jeff Saturday has the best thing Jeff Saturday has going for him. Put it this way: is Jim Mercer, one thousand percent right? And in fact, I I have to wonder whether without Jim Mercer's affinity for Jeff Saturday, I do wonder whether he's a candidate for this job at all. Like if it's up to Chris Ballard, you know, I mean, right. Chris Ballard publicly, publicly admitted yesterday he didn't want the guy. Now, we all knew that. OK, that is not a surprise. We've been saying it and we're reporting it for months. Right. But he publicly said it. OK, he could have easily said, well, you know, it, we had a we had a vibrant discussion. Except, no, he said he told Jim Mercer, 
yeah, I don't think this is a good idea. We're putting him in a bad spot. Why would we do this? <laughs> I mean, I was I was a little bit shocked that he was like that nonchalant about the admission. And so, and here he is now telling us at the same time that that guy is a candidate. Uh, so, uh, and and the other thing is, the the only case that anyone's made for Jeff Saturday is that, you know, he he got the team to play hard and uh, they had a lot of discipline. My argument, my counter argument is if you want to argue against that, which is not my job, but I'm just, you know, giving you the, the, the potential argument. The argument is, yeah, well get a coach with more experience who also can instill discipline. Like that's not that hard, you know? So anyway, to your question, uh, all I can say is that, Without Jim Mercer's opinion of Jeff Saturday, I don't think Jeff Saturday is in the mix, frankly. Steven, um, do you get the vibe that Jim Harbaugh is not a coaching candidate for the Colts? I, it's it's interesting. I And I get that there's a lot of confusion probably on like the Harbaugh side of things. It almost seems like he's yeah. kind of pitching himself out there for contractual purposes. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know what his I don't know what his angle is, right? Jim Jeff, excuse me, Jim Harbaugh. Um, I don't know the answer. I, I would tell you. I mean, I heard his name. Uh, I heard his, I heard buzz about his name from in the building um, a few weeks ago, but I have not heard anything since. So I, it's hard to know. I, I, I can only imagine. This is very speculative, but it's possible uh, that there's. Some some disagreement on the on the Harbaugh side of things, as you said. Um, maybe he's working through some things. I, I think that's possible. And and if and when he gets what he wants, <laughs> uh, then the next dominoes will fall or not fall, right? So I think that might be what's happening. But but I have not heard anything specific to Harbaugh on the Colts in quite some time. You know, Stephen, I think another question to ask is. If you had to grade, so I'll ask you, I guess, if you had to grade A to F, obviously F being the worst, in terms of just how good a job the Colts head coaching job is right now. And I get that, you know, for a for a Ben Johnson, probably pretty good because he's looking for a shot, right? But for a Jim Harbaugh or a coach that seemingly is going to have options if they want to go to the NFL, where does Indianapolis grade in terms of likability of job? I don't think it's that high. Uh, I would say. <clears throat> For what reason do you think it, it would not be seen as high? Okay. And I would, I would put it in the sort of C range, um, which is, you know, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily the worst job ever, but, but you got a lot of complications here. So, okay, here, here's a couple. Number one, the quarterback issue is the first. Now I know they have the number four pick, but Look, have you have people paid attention to young quarterbacks around the NFL? It's it's fifty fifty at best, right? Okay, and that's and by so, like year two, right? Right, and and then guess what? I mean, so like here's take Robert Robert Sala in New York, right? This is a guy who I think is an excellent football coach, and and you know what? And and he's going to be under a lot of pressure next year. You know why? Because his quarterback situation sucks, and because he hasn't had an opportunity to really really show that you know he hasn't had an opportunity i think to to really demonstrate the kind of coach he is because he's been on, out he's been undermined by young quarterbacks and so 
my point is that could be you, you know, prospective Colts head coach, <laughs> you know, that could be them. You know, we have no idea how this is going to go. And, and there is, it is a crapshoot. I think they need to go draft that quarterback, but it's a crapshoot. Okay. Let's be honest about this. Uh, and the fans have to be honest about this too. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I, I think they're a team that looks, I think whatever window they have, if, if they, if they had a quarterback, let's say, let's ask this. If they had a quarterback right now, a viable quarterback, you would think, okay, they have some kind of window open to maybe compete, but I think it's, I don't think it's open for as, as long as, as maybe they think, you know what I mean? Like, like some of those guys are, are getting older, you know, you start to worry about injuries and they have some like Shaquille Leonard. What's his situation? Like, I mean, things change fast in the NFL is what I'm saying. So the impression of the Colts two years ago has nothing to do with where they are right now. You know, I mean, two years from now, they could be in a much different place. They could be a, a team that's a has been. And a lot of those players are not in position or are not in the, in the prime of their careers. So I don't, I don't know that you can even hang your hat on that. You know, the, the non-quarterback spots on this team, still pretty good, but I think not as, it's not as much of a slam dunk as, as maybe it was, if that makes sense. Steven, last one for me, and Steven Holder with us from, the, from ESPN.com. Typically, a Ballard season-ending press conference would lead to a lot of personnel-specific questions, like your free yeah. agents and your players, and obviously, for many reasons, we just didn't have a lot of those yesterday, but there were some. Um, what I got from a few of them, he thinks Bernard Ryman can very well be the left tackle of the future, so I almost kind of crossed left tackle off the list in Ballard's eyes for this offseason, at least with a really important resource. Um he sounds very open to paying Jonathan Taylor the money yeah. that Jonathan Taylor's camp will probably want, and he is a big fan of Michael Pittman's as well. Probably not, you know, unquestionably number one guy, like he can do anything he wants with the football in his hands, but he likes him. Taylor and Pittman both do extensions, or could have extensions, I should say, this offseason. Um, your thoughts on that and any other personnel stuff? Yeah, I would agree with, with everything you said there. Uh, those were my impressions as well. Uh, I think the Michael Pittman uh, thing was, has been a question for me uh, because you know, Chris Ballard's never really spent money at that position at wide receiver. So, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Pittman's what is 20, 2021, 22. So he's got one more year left. Yeah. Both him contract. and Taylor one year, one more year left. Right. But, but both of those guys, if their agents are doing their jobs, are going to want to deal this year, right? This off season, and and we'll see what happens there. That that may or may not happen, uh, but I but I do think the the question that that we didn't get to ask, and and he probably wouldn't have answered it anyway, is do they need to go big at the skill positions? Because as much as I like Michael Pittman, I think they need another chip there, and. And, and that is something he's never shown any willingness to do. You are going to have a very young quarterback here who potentially who you are very invested in. Go help that kid. For the love of God, go help that kid. You know, and, and you're not going to do it by having just sort of a, a middling wide receiver group. I thought they were fine this year. I, I don't think that was their problem necessarily. Okay, let me be clear. But they don't have a threat at tight end. I mean, Jelani Woods was really their biggest threat. Uh, they don't have a, a wide receiver who keeps you up at night. 
even though Michael Pittman, very good, not elite, but good. And so I just think that is going to be the different passing game being just kind of meh versus, oh, my God, these guys are really good. You know, and they can't get to really good, I don't think, with what they currently have. You know, I, I think your voice sounds kind of badass this morning, to be honest with you. Like, I don't want to be awkward here, but I think it's kind of cool sounding. It's making some great improvements, Steven. <laughs> I mean, you said you were a little hoarse, and I thought, well, okay. And then, it, I I don't know. It's not Barry White level, but it's kind of cool. Oh, this is awkward. <laughs> the, the, the raspiness is, uh, it, I, I get it. You're, you're into that. I get it. It's good. It's good. <laughs> well... I'm just saying. Yesterday, Chris Ballard just confessed yeah. to the things he likes. So what the Easy hell? Now. Right? Easy Open now. Open book here, right? Yeah. Oh man. Oh, did he ever? Yeah. <laughs> Stephen, uh, thank you for all the Wednesday conversations with us throughout the season and continuing here early in the off season. We probably will bug you a few times here in the coming weeks and months, but uh, have always enjoyed our uh, our weekly chat. So thank you for that.